Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I had this whole fantasy about like, they're finally going to figure out what's wrong with me and it's going to yeah. be something we can see. And when they didn't find that, I was actually devastated. I was devastated that I did not have a brain tumor. Michelle. Hey, Carling. <laughs> how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. We have such a funny setup today. I know. We're, we're staring at each other. We're live in person. I know. I like it when we're in person the best. Yeah. Editing is easier if we're not in person because I still can't figure out how to each get us on a microphone on our own separate track. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But small details. It's okay. But then we're trying to get set up. Because after this, we have a recording in person. Yeah. We're interviewing somebody live. Live and in person. In the flesh. I know. And so we've got to figure out in your bedroom how around this desk we're going to seat everybody yeah. comfortably. We'll make it work. We'll make it work. How was your week? It was okay. I had sick children. Yeah. I was at the school far too many times this week. Yeah. Picking up children. I also... Went to urgent care myself. Are you <laughs> kidding me right now? Surprise! No. <laughs> I have never been so mad at you in my whole life. Why? You need to tell me these I things. I was fine. I figured it out. It's all good. Tell me right now. Okay. So I've been having a lot of pain in my foot. Mm-hmm. And it came out of nowhere. But it's like every time I take a step, every time I shift weight on it, it really, really hurts. And I can't figure out why. And it's, like, to the point where I feel like I can't walk, like, or I am, like, limping because it really hurts. I know. So I was at work, and I'm like, this is not working for me. Like, I'm going to have to go to the doctor or something. And my boss was like, just go, like, just go to urgent care right now. And so I went to urgent care, and I was waiting and waiting and waiting, and it's starting to get to be, like, 5'10", and I have to go pick up the twins by 5.30, right? So I, like... at no point were you like, I should message my best friend who's my backup, who could probably pick up the twins. Many times I was thinking about that, but then I was like, that's silly. Like, I'm You're not gonna... silly. <laughs> I'm not going to make you drive all the way I have literally town. come out here for less. I know. I You're know. a silly goose. But I just wanted to do it on my own. Oh, my God. You're not Reba McNeil. <laughs> no, Reba McIntyre. Reba? Reba. Reba. Anyway, so I hobbled out to the desk and I was like, listen, I got to go. Like, I'll come back later. Like, I know I probably have to do the whole triage process again. Like, whatever. No big deal. I'm like, but I really have to go pick up my twins at daycare. And they're like, well, you're next to be seen. And I was like, I know, but like, I have to go. Right. And they're like, you're probably going to go for an x-ray. Anyways. So then this doctor who's sitting at the desk, super good looking, by the way. He was like, I will come see you right now. He's like, I'm busy with somebody else, but like, I'll come see you right now. Like, no problem. Please hold. Resume. So okay. good looking doctor says, I'm busy with someone else, but ma'am, your foot takes precedence. 
No. So what happened was I went back into the room and he was like, I have twins. He's like, so that's why I'm helping you. Aww. Because <laughs> he's like, he heard me say twins and he was like, okay. And so he sent me right away for an x-ray and he's like, just go get the x-ray and then leave. Go get your twins and then come back like after. Yeah. So I did. I got the x-ray and then left, got the twins, brought them home. And then I had to bring Adrian to the library and then I had to get gas and then I went back and I still waited like another hour for the doctor which whatever and he couldn't see anything on the x-ray but he said that I need to go for a bone scan so there could be like a small fracture in my bone that they can't see on the x-ray or there could yeah I don't know but he said that there's such thing as like very is it gout no, it's not on the, on the part where gout is. Oh, I don't know what gout really is, but... Gout is usually by your big toe, like that bump by uh-huh. your big toe. Mine is all on the yeah. um, right side of my foot, like right... Is that and where you broke it in yes. Texas? So he was like, I did see your break from before. Yeah. He's like, but it is healed, because that was my first thought, like maybe it didn't heal properly. Is it because we were scooting around Texas? Maybe, because when I broke it, I broke it like, they called it like a cyclone break, like literally my baby toe like twisted around and that's broke <laughs> so now i have to book a doctor's appointment to go for a bone scan and see because there's really no explanation for it what are you doing i just thought of something that i wanted to add to my notes oh excuse me don't worry about my broken foot well i'm still reeling from the fact <laughs> that you didn't call me you ding dong <laughs> I just didn't want, I know how busy you are and I know all the things that you always have going on and you're always, you know, with kids or shuffling dogs back and forth know, or at but work like, or. You are a priority. You are my emergency contact. Yes. <laughs> so if I would have passed out at urgent care, they would have called you. And I would have been like, ugh, I'm very busy. I don't know. I. Could you call someone else? I'm just, I don't know. Could she just figure this out on her own, please? <laughs> But yeah, that was my little urgent care trip. Well, Jesus, H. Christ. <laughs> what does the H stand for? Have you heard that? Jesus H. Christ? Is that his middle name? No. <laughs> Javier. No, that'd be a J. Holy? Jesus, holy Christ. <laughs> well, that's terrible. Yeah, so I'm having a lot of pain in my foot. I'm wearing a foot brace. I do have a boot, so if it gets really bad, I could hobble around in a boot. But A boot. A boot. Oot and a boot. Yeah, but you wow. know, you kind of need your feet, so it's a little bit of a hindrance. Yeah. I got free banana bread today. What? Because you're so famous. You're a famous podcaster. Yeah, I rolled up and they were like, oh my God, guys, it's Carling. <laughs> it's one, it's half of the duo. No, tell me what you would have done. Uh-huh. Yesterday, you went to Starbucks. Yeah. At like two in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. You ordered an iced coffee and a, and a banana bread. Okay. You paid... They handed you the coffee and you drove away. Six hours later, you just realized you never <laughs> took the banana bread. So the, it's not like they forgot to give it to you. You forgot to take it. Yeah. This okay. is what happened to Lindsay. Okay. And she was more... We were laughing. We had had wine. Yeah. And she was like, I just realized. It was like 8 p.m. She was like, I drove away without my banana bread. That's so funny. And I was like, well, just call them. Starbucks is very reasonable. Oh, yeah. They'll give you... They'll give it to you. You paid for it. Yeah. And she's like, absolutely not. I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) So I was like, I'll call. 
So I called and I was like, hi there. And I was like, I'm so embarrassed. I was there earlier because I always have to pretend to be the person. Yeah. And you pretended to be me many times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I talked about my five kids and my dead husband. <laughs> but for legal reasons, that's a joke. Absolutely. And she like laughed and she was like, oh my God, absolutely. She's like, we're still open until 830. And she's like, or if you're coming by tomorrow, just I'll make a note and then you could just get it then. And I was like, yeah, I will be by in the morning for my coffee and I'd love that. And she's like, oh, that's no problem. So then this morning when I went through drive-thru, I ordered my coffee and he's like, is there anything else I can get for you? And I was like, well, funny story. (laughs) And I like told him, I said, last night when I called, they just said to mention it. And he was like, oh, for sure. He's like, that happens all the time. so funny. Like, no, it doesn't. So technically you didn't get free banana bread. You got... Lindsay got... Lindsay paid for your banana bread. Yeah, I didn't pay for it. It's free to me. And did you eat it? Heck yes. (laughs) They asked if I wanted it warmed up and I said, absolutely, I do. (laughs) And then I ate it all the way here. And you're like, sorry, babe. Oh, no. I sent her a Snapchat. Of you enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to do the work of, like, calling, right? I told her. I said, you go in the morning and say, and she's like, no, I never would. I'm too embarrassed. Oh, that's so funny. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to enjoy myself a piece of banana bread. Absolutely. That's really Have I just have to mention, because you were, I was joking that you got recognized and got free banana bread. But I posted something on True (gasps) Crime Obsessed. I don't, Okay. I am slow on the uptake of (laughs) most things, (laughs) so tell me what happened. Tell us all. I posted something on the True Crime Obsessed discussion page Facebook group about my husband passing because it it was relatable to the topic of the episode this week. So anyways, I, I just posted something and then there was like a bunch of comments and then there was a comment that said... This sounded like, this sounds like the lady from I Did Not Sign Up For This. And then I realized it's you. And I was like, what? So on True Crime Obsessed, they have like thousands, like tens of thousands of people on this Facebook group. And she recognized me. Just little old you. I know. I was like, so you listen to us and you listen to True Crime Obsessed. I'm like. So it's very exciting. That we are going places, right? We're going to be the next guest on True Crime Obsessed. (laughs) (laughs) That's very exciting. I know it was very exciting. I I looked up once how many patrons they have Mm -hmm. on their Patreon, and then I just I said if everybody is only the five dollar level, but they have levels that go up to like twenty dollars a month. Just at the five dollar level, they make eighty thousand dollars a month. That's insane. Like, yeah, they, I think they had just reached over like 200 million downloads or something crazy like that. Well, like we are getting there. I used to be, <clears throat> I like what they call, they call it like a lady paid at the five or yeah. a lady paid. At, I used to be a lady paid at the 20. Whoa. Cause they would send you stuff. Yeah. I got like a free mug, a free cup, but some not stickers. Really free. Well, exactly. Right. Yeah. Magnet, but I couldn't afford it anymore. So I had to drop back down to $5. Oh my God. Yeah. I gave up a... I have to cycle back. I sort of cycle through, like, I can't afford to be a patron of all the podcasts that I love. Yeah. So, like, I'm one for a couple months, and then I switch it up to another one, and then I go back to the other one. This that's like the, a very natural segue. That's what I was going to say, is that that's the beauty of Patreon, is that you can you can cancel it and then jump back on, and then you kind of have a back catalog, right? Yeah. Of, like, all the ones that you've missed. Yeah. And then you get a little binge session. It's great. Yeah. So... Do we have a Patreon? Oh my god, I'm so glad you asked. So our Patreon is a subscription service, mm-hmm. and it basically supports the work that we do, 
and it helps us pay for things like new equipment, all of our editing stuff. Banana bread. But, no, I didn't pay for the, <laughs> right, the coffee right, right. to go with my banana bread. And Absolutely. It's not 80000 but we're getting there. We're, we're, yeah. We're uh, getting but anyway, there. it's for as little, we have two tiers. At the $5 a month level, you get in, you get access to two episodes a month. Mm-hmm. So right now we've got over 52 episodes mm-hmm. that if you signed up today, you'd get instant access to all of them. And then I think after three months, you get a little mini print sent to you yeah. from Patreon, but it's of our logo. Yeah. It's cute. And then at the $8 level, you get the same two episodes, but you get them released one or two days early. Mm-hmm. Lately, it's been two days early because I'm on top of it. Yeah. But it's at least a day early. And you also get sent some goodies. Yeah. And you also get your name into draws for whenever we like do giveaways. Oh, yes. For all Patreons. So if you're at the $5 level, you get entered one time when we do a draw. The $8 level gets two entries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like a contest that you don't even have to do anything for. You're just on You're just in it. You're just there. Yeah. So um, that's cool. Yeah. It's very cool. What? Um, I feel like you had other things to say. I feel like you have a list. No, I have a list because after this, we're recording our Patreon. Right. And we're Do gonna... we have a Patreon? <laughs> <laughs> and so this week's episode is going to be all about like irrational things that make us angry and embarrassed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. have been laughing, like keeping this ongoing list through the last couple weeks of being like, oh my God, and this thing. It's going to be funny, I think. Yeah, it's going to be lighthearted. And I think had... that we have similar things that make us angry yeah. and cringe and we also have different things so yeah it's gonna be i know one thing one big difference for sure and we'll we'll save it oh my god I know. no that's great so sign up for our patreon if you have it in your capacity to support the work that we do and also i feel like we've had a few trigger warnings the last few weeks uh, yes. And this week, again, trigger warning, we talk about suicide. Mm-hmm. We really didn't plan it like this. We didn't. We And like, we don't record these episodes all back to back, but like the way the scheduling worked. Yeah, yeah. I was the thinking last... about that actually too. I was like, wait a second, we need another trigger warning. I know. Week. We've Yeah, we've got some like mental health heavy yeah. topic. So just take care of yourself. Absolutely. I know somebody mentioned that they were thankful for the trigger warning because mm. they just had to make sure that like they were in the right yeah. f- headspace to listen and Absolutely. the topic is incredible and Jessica's amazing mm-hmm. and yeah that's us all right let's so do let's it. get into it okay bye. bye hello Jess hello how are hello. you I am all right. We've just hit March break here. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have children at home for an entire week. And I'm yeah. working from home. So that's always fun times. My God. Mm-hmm. And how old are they? Mine, the one that I own is nine. And uh, his friend is with us for the first part of the week, who is also nine. So, Oh, God. Is that like at least two of them, they have each other? Well, but they fight like brothers, you oh. see. <laughs> Perfect. We've got lots of stuff planned to keep them occupied. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have March break. We have spring break, which is after Easter. I don't know. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, it's like in it encompasses the Easter weekend. Oh, okay. Ah. Well, we're so excited to chat with you. We met you a couple of weeks ago. And I kind of love that your wife found us on TikTok. 
and then was like, you need to tell your story. I just love that because I don't think anybody watches our TikToks. So <laughs> she's she's all in awe. She's like, they're TikTok famous. They're podcast famous. Oh, my God. You're talking to famous people. Oh, my oh, that's God. So, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. Incorrect, but sweet. Great. Well, why don't we have you start by introducing yourself? Tell us like a little bit about who you are, what you do, where you're from, and then we'll get into your story. Sure thing. Well, my name is Jessica Ward King. I go by the Stigma Crusher, which I'm sure we'll figure out why in a few minutes here. But uh, I am from Kingston, Ontario, and I've lived all over the place. I went to school in Montreal at McGill, and then I went to school in London, England, which was a wild ride. Wow. And that's where I met my wife, and we married, and then she was able to move over here as a permanent resident. I spent Four years in Edmonton when my son was very young and I had to move out there for work. But then, you know, missing family and so on, we moved back. And now I'm in Ottawa, which is just close enough to Kingston, but not so close that the in-laws can just, you know, stop in whenever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's nice. That's a nice amount of distance. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But I've been struggling with bipolar 2 disorder since I was about 15. And so that's, you know, that's where the, the story starts really for me. Wow. Yeah. How did you discover at that young age? Because bipolar, you can be diagnosed pretty young with bipolar, correct? You can be, but I wasn't. It's kind of a retrospective. So what happened was I was 15 and I was, I wanted to go to university. And I was the first person in my family to go. And we didn't have the money to send me. So I had to win the scholarships. I had to do all the extracurriculars. I had to get like straight A pluses. I had to have all of the things so I could get the scholarships so I could go to university. And I was miserable. I was sad. I was crying, crying at the drop of a hat, you know, like any any song would come onto the radio it would be a happy song and I'd cry and you know I wasn't sleeping well I was eating too much junk and like not keeping my body healthy and but I was doing the things that I had to be doing I was getting those grades and I was doing you know musical theater and all that kind of stuff to get the the volunteer hours and the extracurriculars and a well-rounded CV so I was doing the things and it's I, I I have blamed my parents in the past thinking if only they had taken me and maybe gotten me help then maybe it wouldn't have gotten so bad as mm-hmm. it ultimately mm-hmm. did. But then when I became a mom, I realized when a child is kind of on the cusp of being diagnosed with a psychiatric disorder, two things happen. One is that everybody goes, oh, I wonder where the genetics in that family come from. And two oh, I wonder what that child's upbringing has been like. And so mm-hmm. all, all this blame gets heaped on parents. Yes. And so my parents were like, well, if she's doing all the things, she's miserable, but she's doing all the things. So can there really be anything that wrong? Yeah. And so they didn't do anything. And I didn't do anything. And there was a lot of stigma, right? They were mm-hmm. worried. And so was I, that if I got diagnosed with psychiatric disorder, that my burgeoning life and career would be over before it even started yeah yeah and how when was that like early 90s or when would that have yeah been? No. so I yeah I eventually graduated high school in 2001 so this was late. okay yeah okay so we're around the same age our parents didn't talk about this stuff 
And if they did talk about it, it was an extreme case where, oh, so-and-so is, you know, they've been diagnosed or they're in the hospital or they're going to a psychologist and it was a really negative, bad thing, right? And there was, the stigma is there now, but the stigma back then was even bigger. Yeah. I mean, the whole Prozac thing was blowing up and all the reports that, you know, Prozac is being over prescribed and it's turning people into zombies and young yeah. people are committing suicide and that like using all those big words like commit because yeah. apparently dying by suicide is like committing a crime or committing adultery yeah. or a sin, yeah. you know, using all of those negative words and all of those, those negative like connotations. And you're mm-hmm. right. We didn't talk about it. And apparently nobody in the, they couldn't figure out where I would have gotten it from because nobody in our family struggled with it. And then <laughs> right. when eventually right. like 20 years later, I started telling my story. The relatives came out of the woodwork. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, I've been struggling for this many years and I've been taking medication and I've been in the hospital and, oh. Oh, wow. We didn't talk about it. And it would have helped so much if we had been talking about it. Because if I'd known relatives were struggling and my parents had known, they'd have been like, oh, I can see where this comes from now. Maybe we should have this off at the pass. But we need to treat the mental health history like we do a medical history. Yeah. So do you have you know, parents that have heart disease or cancer, it has to be the same for, for mental health. It has to be the same list of, you know, oh, your uncle or your aunt or your mom or your dad, so that when you go to the doctor, you can give that information to them and that they can have the full picture. Yeah. yeah. Because we know that a lot of psychiatric diseases are genetically linked. Like they're not mm-hmm. huge huge genetic linkages for schizophrenia and for bipolar disorder, for example, you're at like, you're at a higher risk, but it's like 5% higher or something, but that's enough to give you a hint. If something is, it's not enough to like say, Oh, you know, three out of your five children are going to have it, but it's enough Mm -hmm. to say if someone's showing symptoms, ah, maybe we should look for this. Absolutely. And what were some of the symptoms when you were younger? When I was younger, it was, there was a lot of anxiety. I would have panic attacks. And I also, like I said, I would cry extreme emotional lability is what they call it. So I'd cry at the drop of a hat. I would get really angry really quickly, like goes from zero to 60 and, and just like start screaming and yelling. So like my emotional state was extremely like relative to what was going on. And sometimes you couldn't even tell what had triggered the crying or the, or the anger. And then, as I mentioned, there's all of those physical effects. Like I wasn't sleeping properly. I was sleepwalking. I wasn't eating properly. I I was one of the ones that eats too much. Sometimes people eat too little. Sometimes people sleep Mm -hmm. too much. Sometimes people sleep too little. And then there's all the cognitive effects too. So like just kind of, it's like thinking through a marshlands, like you're wading through muddy water sometimes trying to think, which was really difficult because as I mentioned, I was trying to, you know, get the straight A's and get the scholarships. So that was, it made studying even more hard. And then just the negative thoughts, like the, you know, you're such a failure. I'm like, okay, so I, I remember I got a B plus on my first year university calculus like that was my final grade. I was inconsolable. No. I was bawling my eyes out, totally inconsolable because I got a B plus and it wasn't an A and my life was over. And then, so you get those, like the spiraling thoughts of like, you're a complete failure. Your life is over. What are you doing? You're, you're an imposter. Everyone's going to find out you don't know what you're doing and what you're Mm -hmm. talking about. You know, you're going to lose your scholarships. You're going to have to, you're going to end up homeless. You're going to have to go like back home and live with your parents forever. And the spiraling thoughts 
thoughts were just, they were, they were constantly there and constantly just telling myself negative things. Yeah. Constantly. And so those, those were the, like the big ones. I had a big list, I guess. But <laughs> If Carling and I got a B plus, we would have like high fived each other and like gone out for coffee or something. <laughs> like it would have been <laughs> Well, I realized now it was completely out. Like I was, I, I was yeah. completely out of, the, out of the ordinary of what should be happening. But yeah, I mean, I re- and I remember too, my roommate was just kind of like, she sat there with me while I bawled and she was like patting me on the back. So it, it wasn't rational. And that's the thing. It's, it's not rational. You can't, you can't reason it out and be like, no, you know what? This is a good mark and it's not going to ruin the rest of your life. It's, it's beyond reason. Yeah, absolutely. What was your journey to actually getting a diagnosis? So I was really highly self-stigmatizing as well. And part of this problem of this was that I, I, my PhD that I ultimately got is in psychology. So I was in a psychology program and doing and working with psychologists to do research. That's who all of my mentors were and all of my, my thesis supervisor and so on were. And it's it's amazing. So in psychology, similarly to psychiatry, the stigma is enormous. The institutional stigma that goes yeah. along with, you know, with studying those things. Because I think what's what goes on is there's there's got to be the separation. There's us, the academics, who are sane, and and them, the the crazy people over there. Yeah, and we are different, and therefore, you know, we have all these thoughts and beliefs and and attitudes and 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 behaviors towards these people. Which, of course, we have a great amount of you know sympathy and empathy for, but but it's not you different. Yeah, to be threatened with becoming one of the other is terrifying. And you really do get the sensation that it could affect your ultimate career if you are wandering around and people know that there's a diagnosis of some kind of mental disease. Which is crazy because I would like to think that it would somehow give you an advantage of having the lived experience. Yes. And that's what I'm the, the, the way I go at it now. But then when I was just a student and, and all my mentors were giving, you know, you know, were saying these, they say offhand things about people that are struggling with mental illness and you get the message and that's the stigma, right? You get the message that it's not acceptable, that it's, that you're going to limit your, your career and your life if you right. if, if anyone would, were to find out. And so I was even highly self-stigmatized. And so, so I, I, I show up at McGill right? I show up in, at university and, and I'm sleepwalking a lot. And I don't know if you, you ladies have ever heard of the sock on the doorknob trick. No. Heard of this one? Like no? if somebody's having sex. Yeah, that's the yeah. one. So you put, so you're in residence, you put a sock on the doorknob. That means nobody's to go in there because you're busy. You're having a good time. Yeah. Well, I'm sleepwalking and <laughs> do not understand the sock uh, the doorknob because I'm sleepwalking oh, yeah. and end up in somebody's room in the middle of passion and whatnot. And so I get sent to a neurologist, a sleep specialist, and a psychiatrist. And I was thrilled to be going to the neurologist because I was struggling with with chronic migraines at this point as well. And I'd been struggling for, I guess it was around about seven years by then with all of these, like the mood, but also the cognitive states. And I really tried to focus on those. Like it's hard to think, it's hard to sleep, it's hard to you know, do things that are very concrete and and rational. And uh, so I was thrilled to be going to the neurologist. I was like, they're going to take a picture of my brain and they're going to find a tumor. 
and they're going to circle it with a red pen and everyone's going to be able to see my tumor. And then, and then they're going to, to run for me and they're going to emblazon my name across their chest as they <laughs> run for me on some, you know, cancer run and people are going to raise funds and I'm going to lose all my hair, but I'm going to look cute anyway. Wow. <laughs> the wow. rationality of all of this, right? Yeah. Wow. But with the chronic migraines, he said, well, something we often do to treat the chronic migraines is to take a low dose of an old kind of antidepressant. And I said, no, no, I don't need an antidepressant. I'm not depressed. No, no, no. It's just for the migraines. For the chronic pain, you take a low dose. We just start you on a low dose and and then it's for the chronic pain. And I'm like, for the migraines. And he's like, for the migraines. And so like this was back at the beginning of the internet. I go and I ask Jeeves and Jeeves yeah. tells me that, you know, yes, this is for migraines. So I'm like, okay, yeah. I'll take it, but only for the migraines. And I start on the very low dose and then it didn't help. So I went up a dose and, and, and up a dose and up. And ultimately I was taking a very high dose, but it did help the migraines. And it also amazingly helped the mood disorder. Wow. But it was just for the migraines. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Right. But the thing that, that, so I, so while I was doing my undergrad, I got, I like after about the first half year, I that's when I started seeing improvement and I was able to get through my undergrad. Okay. I was okay. But by the end of it, and I was again trying to get all the grades and trying to, I, I wanted to go overseas to study with a particular person. So I needed to get overseas scholarships. And again, I was on that pressure cooker of have to do all the things to get all the scholarships. And by the time I got the scholarships and I, I arrived in England to start working with this person, and I, I knew no one in England. I knew nothing about the educational system, about the medical system. The, like, I didn't even speak the language. I don't know if you know British people. They don't speak the same English as the rest of us. Sorry, British people that are listening, but it's a whole different operation. Yeah. So I get there and it's, and like, I thought it would be, I don't know why I thought it would be a great idea if I moved to somewhere where I had no support when I was feeling so unwell, but I did. Cause I was just like, I was single-minded. I was like, this is what I'm doing and nothing's going to stop me until I found myself at a, like a student poster session where we all were talking about our thesis research and all that kind of stuff. And it was in an old hotel in downtown London. And one of those ones with the great staircases with the red plush carpet and the banisters. And it was like, you know, like this great big spirally staircase thing. And I found myself looking down, I was clutching the banister of the staircase and I looking down and there's marks of self-harm on my hands. And I'm wondering if I would actually die if I were just to lean over. Oh. And I kind of caught myself and shook myself and was like, what am I doing? I'm here at this, like, this is my, this is my, my career. And, and I continued and I did the thing. But then that night I went over, I, I had made a friend, it was six months in or so, and I, over a couple of bottles of wine, I guess you might say, I told her what had happened. And I was mm-hmm. so lucky that she convinced me to go to the local emergency room of the hospital that had a psychiatric ward. Like that night? And that night, yeah. And wow. this stuff only happens at like midnight, apparently, of because yeah. Yeah, in my experience, I've never gone to hospital during the daytime because everything gets worse at night, right? It really yeah. does. Yes. Your psychological does. state, everything gets worse. And so... So here I am, and I'm still convinced that I do not have mental illness because I am successful, you see. Like, I had the grades, I had the education, I had, like, I'm successful, and people with mental illness are 
ugly and stupid and sucks on the system and potentially violent and you can't count on them and you cross to the other side of the street if you come upon them and I was not them you see Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I could not possibly have mental illness but I went to the hospital and the first thing that happened was they had to take my shoelaces um, because I could use them to harm myself or others. And so I ended up with those, you know, those those really cute little CSI booties, the little mm-hmm. blue jobbies that your dentist yeah. put on these days yeah. so their, their floor doesn't get all messy. Yeah. yeah. So they're super sexy, super warm. I ended up with those on. <laughs> they had to take my belt, which, because I could use it to harm myself or others. And I was I was almost 500 pounds then. So there were not scrubs in the in the world to fit me. So I ended up with a sheet wrapped around my waist. And they take me down the hallway on the, the women's side of the ward. And the first thing I notice is that like there's about 15 doors on either side, but they all have a little window about head height. And at first I think, oh my goodness, no privacy. But then I see that there's a curtain. And I the first thing I think is, oh, what a great idea. I can, you know, close the curtain for privacy, but then I can look out to make sure there are no crazy people in the hallway before I exit the room. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> But of course, ladies, because I swear to God I was intelligent, but of course, the little curtain's on the outside of the door, and it's there so that the staff or the other, your your fellow colleagues, can look in on you every 10 or 15 minutes or so right. to make sure you're okay. Mm-hmm. So there I am, and I'm and I am getting to the part where like getting a diagnosis because this it's a journey, and that's why I tell it Absolutely. this way because it's like yeah. such a journey. And so I'm sorry, sitting this on is in the England bed still, in, right? in this room. This was in England. Wow, yeah. wow. So you're just like in a foreign land. Yeah, yeah. And I'm and another thing about England is quite often, and this was in my residence there. It was in all the apartments I lived in. They have like the water closet is just the toilet, and it's literally right. like its own room. And then bedrooms have a sink and mirror combo where you, you like, you go to the bathroom, then you go into your bedroom and you wash your hands and you wash your face and whatever you want to do. And so I'm in this single room in the psych ward and I'm waiting for the meds to kick in. Cause like I said, it's midnight. So they give me meds to help me sleep and I'm waiting for the meds to kick in. And I'm looking over at this sink and mirror combo and the mirror is just like sort of brushed metal it's not a regular mirror like with glass on it because you could break the glass and use it to harm yourself or others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the mirror's got like, like M was here etched into it and all the rest of it. And you can sort of make, it's like looking at the back of a spoon. That's that right. mirror. And then the sink is not like pasta bowl shaped like you might expect a sink to be. It's more like dinner plate shaped because an adult can drown in less than two inches of water. Wow. So the sink cannot hold much water. And the tap and faucet was instead of like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here making like <laughs> turning the faucet <laughs> movements here with my hands, but it's not faucet like you would normally turn a faucet or move it up and down to get the, the, run, the water to run. They're just two little buttons in the wall. Okay. And the faucet itself is not sticking out from the wall so you can put your hands under it because you could use that to anchor yourself or to hit yourself with it's just a little hole in the wall that's just spitting out water and so the the reason that I tell you all of this is because I realized as I stayed in the hospital that time that there's an entire industry of people of engineers of designers of the people that make the boxes and the and the people that come in and sell it to the hospitals and the people that come and install it in the hospitals to make implements 
that are there to make sure that I cannot harm myself and others Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I had mental illness. Mm -hmm. And that was like the moment that the stigma that I knew was in the world got planted in my head and the self-stigma started to attack me that I was crazy. I was broken. I was destroyed. I was disgusting. I was violent. I was lazy. I was stupid. I was a suck on the system. And it was in the hospital that I got my first diagnosis, which at the time was major depressive disorder. Because with my disorder with bipolar 2, you end up with long periods of very deep depression and then shorter, usually shorter periods of hypomania, which is not like the high, high mania that people end up hospitalized for when they spend all their money and think that they can fly and believe that they're God and all that kind of stuff. Hypomania is just kind of like, it's too much energy. You feel restless. You feel agitated. You feel angry. You can't stop moving. You don't sleep much. You don't eat much, but you don't usually present yourself to a psychiatrist when you're in a hypomanic state, because Quite often, it's also a bit euphoric. You feel great. Now, and you're often probably I, more I feel high agitated right? and angry. Yeah. But you're more, yeah, like I finished writing my thesis hypomanic. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So you don't show up to the doctor and be like, hey, I'm feeling pretty good and getting a lot of stuff done. You show yeah. up to the doctor when you're in the depths of depression. So my yeah. first diagnosis was major depressive disorder. And then... As you get treated for major depressive disorder, they give you uh, antidepressants, which make you go up. And so while I'm in the hospital, they're noticing that I'm switching into hypomania. And then it's becoming clear, oh, this isn't major depressive disorder. This is bipolar disorder. And we have to treat this now differently. So you have to treat it with mood stabilizers like lithium or Epival. You have to treat it with antipsychotics like Seroquel, for example, or right now Rixalti. And, and then you can use antidepressants, but like more sparingly. And it's a, you have to really watch for the switch into hypomania. And so you have to treat bipolar two completely differently than the way that you would typically treat major depressive disorder. So I spent a a long time trying to get that balance right so that I wouldn't Mm -hmm. keep switching back and forth from one to the other because that's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Were you in the hospital when they were adjusting your meds? Yes. They usually want to change one thing at a time. Now, mm-hmm. when you go into a hospital acutely, like suicidal, or you're in hospital because you're, you know, manic or whatever, they will sometimes change a bunch of medications all at once. Mm-hmm. But quite often, especially when you're an outpatient, they want to change one thing at a time because they don't want to like change all the meds and then not know what caused the good yes. effects, what caused the bad effects. Yeah. And so you start on one and you have to start at the lowest dose. Mm-hmm. And then after a week or two weeks, you go up a little bit and then up a little bit. And it takes like eight weeks to get up to your dose. Then you have to wait usually six to eight weeks to see if that dose is going to work. And mm-hmm. then if it doesn't, you have to go down on it slowly. And so it's another four to six weeks to go down on it so that you can start another one. And it's it's the most hopeless procedure I, I yeah. ever go through because it just seems like nothing is ever going to get any better. It, like when you're in the depths of a depression or even in your the highs of the hypomania, you just want it gone. And it's so hopeless and 
it seems so futile to be doing it so slowly. And then you, mm-hmm. you just, I mean, your depression is telling me like, I know this isn't going to work because none of them have ever worked before. And I'm just going to be like this forever. And I can't stand it. And I can't stand to live like this. And, and while it's so slow, and then there's all the side effects that go along with it. And like a lot of these medications have like the, the ones that are for bipolar have movement side effects. So I'll like twitch or, or have like my hands go cramps and like can't move them and stuff. And you'll get uh, like, I often get nausea when I change an antidepressant mm-hmm. and the nausea is really, really, it's almost like morning, morning sickness almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then like, sometimes I get what's called akathisia where like you can't stop moving and it's really agitated and it's really uncomfortable and it's like having restless legs, but all the time. Yeah. So all these side effects are there too, that you're trying to, and and they usually get better the longer you're on it, but each time you increase the dose, they get worse again. Mm-hmm. And then you get used to it for like the two weeks and then it gets a little better and then they increase the dose and it gets worse again. Like it just, it's so like, it's like running on a hamster wheel. So yeah, absolutely. how long were you in the hospital for? I was in the hospital the first time for two weeks and they changed everything at that point. Cause at that point I wasn't really on a whole lot. I was still on that, those four migraine pills. The second time I was in hospital, I was only in there four days when they decided to do ECT electroconvulsive therapy. Cause I was set to be married in two months and I didn't know if I was going to make it to my wedding day. To your current partner to like to your wife. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so I was like, I have to make it to my wedding. I have to be better for my wedding. I'm starting my life with her. I want to have a life. And so we decided to to try electroconvulsive therapy for the first time. Wow. And And what is that? So that is when they use two electrical probes. It's like literally hooked up to plugged into the wall and it's like a little electrical machine. And they put it, generally speaking, they used to put it on either side of the head and make an electric current go through from one pole to the other pole, and it would cause a generalized seizure in the whole brain. The way that the brain is designed is that there's, in the middle of it, there's, they call it the corpus callosum. So that's the bundle of fibers that connect the right and the left side of the brain. And so they used to do it on either side so that the whole brain would have a seizure. But what they do now more often is do it on the side of your brain that doesn't control language. So for most right-handed people, that would be the left-hand side of the brain. And so what they would do is they would put one on the front, like forehead, and one on the side and make the electrical current go through them. And it would mostly affect the side of the brain. So it's the right side of the brain. The right side of the brain, which does not control language. The left controls language. The right does not. And in right-handed people. And so that's the kind that I had. The one biggest side effect of it, apart from like you go under general anesthetic now, so it's not like Jack Nicholson back in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest where like (laughs) you're looking all ugly and you're like, ah! Yeah. It's not like that anymore. They put you under general anesthetic for this. The general anesthetic has usually ketamine in it, which causes you to forget the whole experience Mm -hmm. so that you don't remember the really kind of like tense experience and you just wake up confused and with for me every single time with a migraine but I did my first course was of 12 and by about the eighth one my mood had started to lift wow that's so 
intense 12 and you do it about one would be a week so and you know like it seems really barbaric we think of it as barbaric Mm -hmm. but ect is actually the most effective treatment that we have for depression it is the most effective it works the most often and the most completely and it's often used for people with acute suicidality because it's so effective and so quick yeah unlike any of the medications that we have. But the big side effect is, well, there's cognitive side effects like in thinking and and reasoning and being able to like work and stuff, but there's the memory deficit and that's the biggest problem. So you don't remember usually during the whole period that you're having ECT, what it was like, you don't remember day-to-day life. Sometimes you'll lose some memory from before it. And sometimes you'll go on to have memory deficits keep like going forward. So for example, I don't remember my wedding. I don't remember it at all. It was four weeks after my final ECT treatment and I don't remember a single thing. Did you know that was a risk specifically going in? I did. Yeah. 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 Being, you know, a PhD in psychology, I was able to do the research and, and and I knew enough already anyway from, you know, from learning about it. So I knew it was a risk, but it was, well, I either do this and I make it to my wedding or I don't do this. And the risk is that I'll die by suicide before the wedding. Mm-hmm. Wow. And did you, was this in Canada or England? This was in England. Still in wow. England. Wow. Yeah. Is this something that's like worldwide? Like, is this a common treatment option in most developed countries? It is, yes. And I've done it in Canada as well. So about 10 years later, I was in a very, very severe depressive episode when I was in living in Kingston, and I had to do ECT again there. So yes, it is It is a common thing in developed countries. It, it I mean, even in underdeveloped countries, it's not that expensive of a treatment. And it's fairly effective. So yeah, you can you can get it a lot of places. Who brought it up to you? How did you know that it was an option? Like I've got, I've got depression and anxiety, but nobody has ever, and maybe because it's not extreme enough and it's well-managed with medication, but like, I've never heard of this before. So Mm -hmm. at what point and who brings it up? So it was because it was intractable. It was, it, so it was treatment resistant depression that was tied to the bipolar disorder, I had tried, usually they say it's treatment resistant. If you've tried a full course of at least two different medications and neither of them worked, I had tried upwards of 20 by then and nothing was working and I was acutely suicidal and it was a last resort. And it usually is a last resort. It can be recommended for, for example, for folks that are pregnant, you can, you, you can do ECT while you're pregnant, but a lot of the medications aren't recommended. Right, so if you're right. in a very acute depressive episode while you're pregnant, it, it is actually kind of a first line treatment. But for people that can tolerate medications and for whom medications have had even some benefit, it's usually not recommended right away. It's really a treatment of last resort. Mm-hmm. Although since then, I've had an even more last resort treatment. I have electrodes implanted into my brain now so that they just constantly give a little z- 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 of electricity to a specific part of the brain that's linked to mood and that was wild as well I actually I have like right here under my my pectoral muscle I guess it is it's it's a battery and it's not for a heart pacemaker it's for my brain pacemaker and I have to wow. use you know those wireless chargers that you use for your phone 
Yeah. I have one of those that I have to charge myself like a cell phone all, every night <laughs> um, so that it keeps going z- 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 in my brain. And can you feel wow. it? No, I can't feel it. So when did you have that done? That was actually when I was living in Edmonton. They um, were doing clinical trials at the University uh, of Calgary. And so I came down from Edmonton for those clinical trials and was lucky enough to be selected to get the, the, it's called deep brain stimulation because they put the electrodes deep in the brain right in the middle part. And during like a, a 10 hour procedure during which you are awake, because although you have a lot of neurons in your brain, none of them are actual feeling like they can't feel the wires or anything. So it doesn't hurt as long as your scalp is numbed where the holes are in your scalp, you can't feel it. So I was awake for 10 hours of the surgery, having this implanted. The only time I was put to sleep was to have the battery implanted under my skin in my chest. But that is so wild. You know what? And I didn't think it was working. And this was the last resort. Again, I was like, well, I'll try this. And then if it doesn't work, which I know it won't work because my brain is depressed and it's telling me it's not going to work, then I can die by suicide having Mm -hmm. tried everything. Wow. Mm -hmm. And my family will be better off without me anyway. And and it'll be fine. But I'll try this. This is my last resort. And then we'll just carry on. That was that was the plan. That was my plan anyway. Yeah. But about six weeks after it got turned on, my son had fallen asleep early and my wife and I were like, woohoo, like staycation date night. And she said, okay, you find something on Netflix. I'm going to make the food. And she came out with these bowls of curry, like, like chicken, butter chicken or whatever. And I'm starting to eat it. And I was like, oh my God, this is so good. Like, what did you, is this your mother's recipe? Cause your mother's Indian. I'm like, hey, did yeah. you get the prices from your mom in the mail? Like, oh my God, this is so good. And she's looking at me like I'm an alien because what she does, you know, those packets of like already cooked chicken pieces from Walmart. Yeah. That yeah. So it was that chicken. It was a jar of sauce <laughs> and it was non-bread that had been in the freezer for like two months. But I could finally taste. And I didn't even realize that my taste had like gone. Mm -hmm. But with the depression, that's another thing that can happen is like things don't taste the same. They don't smell the same. Like not COVID wise. It's not like you lose it entirely. Yeah. But you lose the the pleasure that comes from smelling and tasting and stuff. And that was kind of the first indication to me that, wait a minute, this might be taking effect. And then within the next month, my depression scores were down at zero. And it wow, hurt. wow. So, how many years ago was this? So, that was in 2016. Okay, wow. so it was a trial at the time, and now is it something that is available there's, for people? They're still in clinical trials because there's still a lot of question about who it works for and what part of the brain to put the, the electrodes in and right. how high to turn it up to, and so on. And so, for mine, like. I've been in a major depressive episode since basically since COVID started and mm-hmm. they turned up my battery, but it's still not working. It's, it's no longer, it ha- is no longer doing the antidepressant effect that it was. And oh. it may again in future, but for now, nothing that I've tried has, has worked, including turning up the deep brain stimulator. So it's wow. not like a cure all. It doesn't fix it, but it's another kind of treatment option that I have in my arsenal. Yeah. Right. So and, how does that then affect you when you feel like something that's was a last resort isn't working currently? 
Yeah, that's that's really troublesome because now I'm like, yeah. well, what do you even do now? Like, I've got friggin' like I'm a Borg. I've got stuff implanted in my brain, mm-hmm. you know. And so you, you you guys can see the people listening can't, but I've got like Spock up on my wall. Yeah. So now I'm, you know, I say to my psychiatrist, I'm like, well, like we tried all of these meds. I tried ketamine. Like, what person wanders around and says, yeah, I spent all of November on ketamine, but I did, and it didn't work. Like nothing's working. And so I do find myself suicidal at this point because I've done all the last minute, like all the last ditch efforts have been done. What else is there? And my psychiatrist keeps reminding me, like, there's always something new to try. You can always try a different combination, like with the amount of drugs that we already have and new ones come out on the market and like the ketamine came out and psilocybin is a possibility in future. Like there's always something to try, but it's almost impossible to keep telling myself that over and over again every time I'm like sitting there going my family would be better off without me there's nothing that's ever going to work I mean you know I've tried everything and and it's over it's hard to say to myself oh but there's always another you can always wait another eight weeks to titrate up on a medication so that it cannot work and you can try again Yeah, yeah yeah Well, and because your brain is telling you things that aren't true, right? And it's, 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 yeah, how do you convince it to, I don't know, like that, that, you, that things yeah. are going to be okay? Yeah. And, the, and my psychiatrist and my wife keep telling me, like, it's just your brain telling you lies. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's louder than you and it's in there yeah. all the time. And, you know, yeah. When I'm sleeping, when I'm dreaming, when I'm awake, when I'm working, when I'm like, no matter what I'm doing, my brain is in there telling me this stuff. Yeah. You guys yeah. aren't loud enough and you're not there often enough. No matter yeah, what. absolutely. What that's, that a, like that's a big on... challenge. Probably we're going to say the same thing about being a partner who has someone who's struggling with mental health. Like, what do you, how can she help? I know that it's exhausting for her. She loves me and she knew what she was she knew what she was getting into mm-hmm. when she married me because like she was busy helping me go to ect treatments while we were engaged so i mean I, as long as she's known me i've been mentally ill and she's known that and even you know her family had, had at one point said like are you sure this is what you want to get into because this is like a lifelong thing this isn't mm-hmm. just gonna go away but the, i'm also a, a partner i'm a full partner the relationship and so there are ways that I support her even while I'm struggling just Mm -hmm. as there are ways that she supports me and that's so important to have that reciprocal relationship because I mean one way we get rid of stigma is through what they call contact and it's to change the attitudes about mental health and mental illness is this contact and part of that for me is being able to not only be supported but also be a support And so while there are times when I'm crying in her arms and I just can't take it anymore, there are also times when she's crying in my arms and, you know, struggling with with the different things that she's struggling with. And so I'm able to be a partner. Now, sometimes it's not like always complete equilibrium, right? Like sometimes I feel like I am taking more than I'm giving, Mm -hmm. but then sometimes I'm able to give more than I take. So yeah, right. yeah. over time, it it's it fluctuates. It's more like dynamism rather than equilibrium, but it fluctuates. But it, it does end up that I'm a full partner in the relationship, and that's that's I think the mm-hmm. strength of our marriage is that we're able to do that for yeah. each other. How did you bring that up with her? Like when you met her, 
Were you just like, hi, I'm Jessica and I'm mentally ill? Like, how does that come up over drinks or? I was still really highly self-stigmatized. I wouldn't tell anybody. The way that, that she, I mean, when we started to date and we started to get serious, then I, I had to tell her that I had this diagnosis and I had yeah. this. But I still wasn't telling anyone. Like my my PhD supervisor had no idea. She thought I was in the hospital for migraines, not wow. for anything else. The only way, like I only started telling my story because I was already in my career. I was 30 years old and I was teaching at a small university and over the Thanksgiving weekend, like everybody piles into somebody's car and goes and eats somebody's mother's cooking, right? Yeah. For, for Thanksgiving. It's the first holiday that the kids get to go back home and see all their friends from high school and, you know, tell them what it's all like at school and everything. So everybody goes somewhere. Yeah. Except for one student who knew everybody because he was the bouncer at the local bar. He knew everyone's name, all their birthdays. <laughs> he was staying in residence, everybody. I mean, he was on the basketball team, third string, never played a game, but he was still one of the guys. And somehow he got missed and he stayed oh. on campus and he walked into the lake in Northern Ontario University oh, in October. God. He did not walk out. And the students started to confide in me because I was young. I was hip. I had colorful hair and piercings <laughs> and whatnot. And uh, they started to, to confide in me. But then very quickly, the university issued a statement that out of respect for this student and this student's family, no one shall talk about suicide. The student died by drowning, period. <gasps> and all of their mouths wow. collectively clamped shut. They got the message. They got the stigma that, that this was not an acceptable thing to have happened. And it's disrespectful. It's, it's shameful. It's a, yeah. sh it's something that's deeply shameful. And yeah. so they all clammed up, but I knew they were struggling because they'd started to tell me how hard it was and how they were struggling. And there didn't seem to be anybody to go to and they couldn't tell anyone. And I realized, I'm like, well, I'm a tenure track professor. Like, what are they going to do? Fire me? I, you know, I've been living yeah. with this the whole time. I'm doing awesome. Um, so I started to tell my story. And that was the first time. That was the first time that anyone, like, outside of my 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 family and my, my doctors knew anything about it. Wow. And those were the kids that named me the stigma crusher. Because they said, ma'am, you are crushing stigma of mental illness at this school and I was able to get a you know peer advisory group going because I think peer support is so 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 important it's part of that contact thing I was talking about right where you get to know other people as people not necessarily as people with or without mental illness because everybody has mental health right we're all yeah. we've all got mental health some people have mental illness but they're people and so getting to know people before talking about diagnoses is so important and so, yeah, that's where I became the stigma crusher. And ever since then, well, I've talked on YouTube. Now I make weekly videos on YouTube where I use my knowledge as a PhD in psychology, as well as my lived in living experience as a person with bipolar two disorder. Yeah. And I crush stigma on YouTube. I crush stigma on TikTok. I crush stigma in the workplace. I work for the federal government and I speak in the Federal Speakers Bureau on mental health to massive amounts of people every year. And I, now you, you, I mean, I can't shut up about it. It's my passion. It's, it's now my actual career. It's what I work in. So my life 
has taken, it's taken a whole different course than what I thought it would. And it's because I have embraced my diagnosis. I've embraced my, you know, this, this way that I, that I am and that I have to be and made it into my life's purpose. And that's not to say that I'm not still self-stigmatizing because I do, I still find it in my brain telling me that I'm useless and, and, you know, stupid and ugly and all those things. Yeah. But I'm able to fight back and be like, I'm going to crush you. I'm I'm just going to crush you. Yeah. I still have to shake myself and crush myself sometimes, but I, it it really has become like my whole life's focus. Well, because a stigma started in society, you know, when we were growing up, like we said at the beginning of the talk that, yeah, you didn't talk about it. You swept it under the rug. It was very quiet. There was nothing wrong. And so, you know, our generation, I feel like is really in this uphill battle so that these next generations, you know, Michelle and I talk really openly in front of her kids about our therapy because we don't want it to feel like, you know, you go to the doctor if you hurt yourself or if you're not feeling well or for just general checkups, mm-hmm. you should also be seeing a, you know, a mental health professional for checkups if you're not feeling well. You know, I think our generation sort of has this uphill battle of crushing that stigma so that the next generations don't. Every my time little we... guy, like Sorry, my little guy, it became clear that he's having anxiety and he's, he has ADHD. But when we started down the path of seeing about getting him diagnosed, we had this moment of like, <gasps> but, and just like I said, where like moms and dads get affected by like, what, what is their upbringing? Like, what is their yeah. genetics like, et cetera. And like, do we really want to have this little person diagnosed with something that's going to follow them around and they're going to get stigmatized about it? I had to like give myself a shake. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's also kind of what Carling was saying about the, about growing up and hearing about mental illness. Even when we would hear about someone who died by suicide, it was, they're selfish. How could they yeah. do this? How, you know, that was the first thing that was talked about. I even remember being in, in junior high and talking about suicide. And that's what was talked about was the selfishness of it. But now we're changing the language. We're saying, you know, died by suicide because just like you could die from cancer or you can die from a car accident, you can die from suicide because it is an illness. And yeah. that is so important to change that language and for people to understand that this is an illness. This is not a selfish act. Yeah. Cause like we mentioned at the beginning, you commit adultery, you commit a crime committing is a choice. It's yeah. something you choose to do and is selfish. And we need to change that language. I'm always so careful to, you know, use the appropriate, like you die by suicide mm-hmm. or you attempt to die by suicide rather than being like, Oh, an, an unsuccessful attempt. And I'm like, really? Because we yeah. call that unsuccessful? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> so it's really important to change the language. But at the same time, I find that people are afraid to talk about it sometimes because they don't know the appropriate language. Yeah. And so sometimes, like, especially when I'm talking one-on-one with a friend or when I'm giving one of my talks, I'll say, like, if you don't know what the right words are to use, use any words as long as you're being respectful and you're there with a the spirit of learning we can figure out what the right words are later. Yeah. So people will say to me like, well, you're bipolar. And I'll say, no, I have bipolar disorder, but go on. Yeah. And then they'll say, well, you wanted to commit suicide. Well, I wanted to die by suicide, but go on. You know what I mean? And as long as people enter into it 
with the intention of being respectful, I find that, you know, we can, we can figure out the words later. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As long as they're willing to learn and they're willing to understand you and what you've been through, then yeah, you can teach them after what the right way to say it is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because people's intentions are generally good when they're trying to understand you and they're trying to learn. Yeah. Exactly. That's amazing. The work you're doing is so incredible. Do you have a goal of what you what you want to keep doing or sort of a direction that you're heading? Yeah, I mean, a pipe dream would be to be able to to tell my story as my career, right? To be able yeah. to 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 tell the story and to leverage the experiences that I've had to help as many other people as I can. And I do that through the YouTube channel. I mean, you can always check me out. It's just, it's easy to remember stigmafresher.com and you get linked to all of my socials and my YouTube and all that stuff. And I put up all my different videos every week. So that's one thing I would love to, you know, to be able to do that. But even just as I work in the public service, like I'm, I'm working now for the Center of Expertise on Mental Health in the Workplace. I'm a policy wow. and research analyst. So I'm able to bring that expertise as well as that lived experience to that lens. I'm able to speak in the public service and in my community, speaking to, you know, parent teacher groups, all that kind of stuff, but telling them my lived experience as well as my knowledge. So I'm really able to leverage that, you know, like that PhD in psychology, great, but the lived experience is really like the star of the show. That's really where I like to go with it is mm-hmm. I'm living, I'm successful in all the ways that our society cares to measure it. I got, you know, the wife and the, and the house and the pets and the, you know, all the, all the things, but struggling, struggling hard and have that lived and living experience. So. I'm so thankful that your wife found us on TikTok and then convinced you, you to reach out to us. So am I. We just try to be the platform to, I guess, like really end the stigma on, you know, just people's journeys and struggles. And we want to bring to light people's lived experiences because I think there's there's so much in common. There's something I think any everybody can relate to in people's stories, how, you know, whether it's directly or indirectly. Absolutely. The last one I got to listen to was, oh, I can't remember her name, but she was talking about her father's suicide and her mother attempting to die by suicide. Yeah, Denise's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was like it was heartbreaking. I was so glad you gave a trigger warning because I needed to be in a in a good place to listen to it. But at the same time, I was like, yes, I hear you, and I hear you on the family stigma, and I hear like I hear you, I see you. Yeah, and I find that with so many stories even if they're not specifically mental health stories like I've seen I've, I've listened to a lot of the of your podcast and and even when they're not mental health stories I'm like yes I can see you in your lived experience and the way that you struggled and the way that you you know are overcoming and are in recovery in whatever way you are and it's so helpful it's part of that again that contact like seeing people for people and then hearing yeah. their stories yeah it's so important that you guys do well, that's amazing. We're so thankful that you are so open and vulnerable and honest about your story because like we, you know, we've said the world needs more of that. Thank you so much for providing the platform for people to be able to share and yeah. learn from one another. It's so amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your weekend and your March break. Yeah. Thank you guys so much too. Thank you. Say hi to your okay. wife and we will, we'll talk to you later. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Bye. bye. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carly. Jessica, thank you so much. I love that. What? 
every time I know we do I our do. Outro, you're like, Asanza, thank you so much. Well, I am very thankful. <laughs> I know, me too. And also mostly unprepared most days. So there we go. I just think about it on the fly, even though it's the same. No, that conversation was amazing and she is amazing and the work that she's doing for breaking the stigma. Yeah. And we're so trying important. really hard to convince her wife, who's very shy, uh-huh. to join us on a Patreon episode. Yeah, I'm excited. To talk about like sort of being the partner and in some in sometimes the caregiver mm-hmm. of somebody who battles with mental health. So yeah. fingers crossed we're going to have a little Zoom chat with them yep. and see if we can convince her because she's shy, but oh god, I'm trying to take my sock off oh and god. I can't. But anyway, yeah, that's us. That's us. I'm excited to record this Patreon. I know me too. I think it's going to be funny. Listen, if I don't laugh the entire time, I'm walking out. Okay, all right. Good to know, good to know. Uh, But guys, follow us on social media. That's where you get all of the upcoming episode info. We post teasers. We post reels. We got some TikToks going. Yeah, that's what we do. So give us a follow everywhere on I Did Not Sign Up For This. And if you have a story and you want to be on our podcast, send us a message. I was literally just going to say that. Well, I'm inside your head. What the heck? That was so weird. <laughs> I was going to be like, we haven't mentioned it in a while, but if you oh have a story, God. well, go to our link in bio on Instagram and you can submit a submit a story or you can just email us at I didn't suffed at no, it's, it's complicated. You know what? Just drop us a DM, yeah. fill out the form, you know. Our email's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I hope everybody has a really good week yeah. and take care of yourselves. And I feel like we need, like, a sign-off. And if you go to urgent care, call your best friend so she can help you. I swear to God. (laughs) That is shocking to me. Do not like this. Okay. I'm sorry. All right. (laughs) Bye. Bye.